Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. For the reading of the word. Are you with me? This is exciting, right? Because Pastor doesn't know exactly what he's doing. So just fasten your seatbelts. 1 Kings 17 is where we're going to read. Verse 1, and Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, notice what he says, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. In other words, as surely as there is a God, as surely as God lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Wow, that's confidence. And then look over in chapter 18. I tell you what, let me say a prayer and then I'm going to let you be seated. Father, thank you so much for your word. Pray that you speak to our hearts tonight. Lead us on this Wednesday night. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I have no title screen. Uh, so here we go. First Kings chapter 18. This will be a Bible study on some really cool stuff. But First Kings chapter 18. Now look over here, verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. So three years later, he said, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So in 17.1, he says, as surely as God lives, it's not going to rain these years except at my word. In the next chapter, verse 1, three years later, the Lord said, go show yourself to Ahab. I am going to send the rain on the earth. Now, the children of Israel at this time in the history of Israel, they had uh, gotten themselves into a lot of trouble. They had forsaken the God that they were supposed to be serving, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were worshiping other gods. They had forsaken the covenant. They had gotten themselves into trouble. In the scripture, there's a lot said uh, about fornication and adultery that has nothing to do with sexuality. It has everything to do with allegiance to God. And what they were doing is described as spiritual adultery. They, they had turned from their covenant partner, Almighty God, and begun worshiping other gods, specifically Baal and Asherah. And Baal and Asherah were just wicked, vile in, in, in their practices and the, the rituals that, that you had to go through to worship these gods. For instance, Baal uh, demanded the sacrifice of children. And there are historical accounts. Valerie and I were just over in Israel and actually saw a Canaanite altar where things like this took place. They would, they would build up a big fire. They had an idol in, in the shape of what they perceived Baal to be. And they would, they would, it was a hollow metal. It's horrible. They would put children in there or they would put children in the arms of this Baal idol, put that idol in the flames. It was metal. 
and it would heat up, and they would they would roast, cook their children. It was it was hideous, and the, and the priests would beat drums to pound out the crying and the screaming. It was, it was just brutal, and for some reason, they had chosen to go this direction. The worship of Astra was very sexual in nature. It, it was it was it was horrific, and for some reason, they had chosen to forsake the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that had brought them out of the land of Egypt and across the Red Sea, uh, had given them the law and the commandments. They had forsaken the true and living God and had gone after these gods. Now, I say for some reason, but the reason was Ahab's wife Jezebel. She was, uh, she was a priestess. Her father was a king. She was a princess. And Ahab had married her for political expediency and she had introduced uh, the worship of these gods and developed a priesthood in Israel. And Jezebel taught the Israelites how to worship these gods and not feel bad about it. As a matter of fact, there's a lot said in the Bible about uh, Jezebel. As a matter of fact, we saw that in the book of Revelation in dealing with the seven churches of Asia Minor. Jezebel came up and the sin of Jezebel came up and the sin was to learn how to sin with no consequences, no feeling of guilt, feeling like you were justified. And the, the children of Israel had listened to Jezebel and they had lost their way. And Elijah was grieved at what he saw. He saw the children of Israel leaving God, worshiping these false gods, and it, it grieved him greatly and there were consequences In spite of what Jezebel said, there were consequences. As a matter of fact, in a very familiar passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy 28, we see what happens when you forsake and abandon the laws of God. The first 14 verses are loaded with blessings, but then verse 15 of Deuteronomy 28 says, But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send upon you trouble, cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed, until you perish quickly. Uh, Going down to verse 23, notice, and your heavens which are over your head, the sky, shall be bronze, and the earth which is under your feet shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust from the heaven, it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. And so they had abandoned, they had forsaken the Lord, the ways of the Lord. Elijah's grieved and sees this, and he says, it will not rain. In other words, Deuteronomy 28, follow me carefully here, was the will of God if the people abandon the commandments of the Lord. He said, this is what will happen. God said, this is what will happen. Remember, he said, as surely as the Lord 
lives before whom I stand. It will not rain. He was really just giving voice to the will of God that was already expressed in Deuteronomy 28, which is really what prayer is in a way. It's willing with words, or it's expressing the will of God through your words. Elijah was praying the will of God, even though it was in a negative sense. He was praying, speaking the will of God over these people and to Ahab. It will not rain until things change and I speak again and I pray again. Very powerful. Elijah was partnering with God and the result was there were three years of famine, no rain. Just think about the power of prayer for a moment. Listen, that was in the Old Testament. And I'm not trying to get you to get all excited about praying negative prayers, you know. Like they're living in sin, I pray a curse on them, you know. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for cursing them and, you know, shriveling up everything in their lives and whatever. I'm not saying that. I just want you to seriously tonight, and I just felt to do this, consider the, because James said it, Elijah was a man just like we are. Same passions that we have. Nothing special about him. That's what James is making the point over in James 5. Nothing special about him. A man of like passions, yet he prayed. The, the, the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I speak King James sometimes. So, so he's, he's a man who is praying. He's speaking the will. Think of the power of your prayers. If you believe that what you were praying was in line with the will of God and that it would come to pass if you prayed it, would you pray it? The power of God's covenant people coming into agreement with God and praying that out, that's a power that is underestimated in the church today. Like like we do cool church, we have lights, we do nice music, we have a smoke machine, etc., etc., But that's not what makes the church powerful, y'all. This is not like we're not trying to be the best show. We're not trying to be Vegas. This is not a Vegas act. But there is power that flows in this house. And it's it's not just in this house. It's in the prayers of the people in this house. Your, Your prayers are powerful. We need a fresh awakening of the power of prayer in this church. God is able to do things. Listen, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. It's not just Holy Spirit power. It's Holy Spirit power accessed and motivated and moved through the prayers of the people. They avail much, the prayers of God's people. Prayer is powerful. We have prayer every first Monday here of the month and others gather at different times to pray. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. In the Old Testament, this man, he was not baptized in Jesus' name. He was not filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't even know that Jesus would be the name of the Messiah. And yet, he's following in the covenant that he understood at the time. And he shut up the heavens. And later, he opened them. Now, it was God. Don't get me wrong, but he was partnering with God. You are a partner with God. 
we wait on the Lord. I'm waiting on you, Lord, when so many times the Lord's waiting on us. If my people, if, if you would pray, come on. He's looking for prayer partners. We used to have prayer partners in the church, right? Need a prayer partner. We're going to pray together. I used to have two prayer partners. There were three of us. I was one of them. One of them was my Papa Johnson. The other one was S.B. Rasco. And Papa, he was, he was on up there. And S.B. was on up there too. And man, they would go to town praying in the prayer room. And sometimes it was me, Papa, and S.B. in the prayer room just by ourselves praying. And man, they went to town. And I was like timid. I'm like, you know, oh God, you know, do something. And they're over there, oh God, I mean, just like wailing and stuff. And they were my prayer partners, kind of mentoring this young man and, and, and showing me how to pray. But imagine you being God's prayer partner and praying, praying things into existence that will change people's lives, change the course of governments and nations, destiny. I'm talking about. There's power in this room. We can gripe and complain, watch the news, listen to talk radio, get all political on either side, all sides, make, shake our fists in the air and at the government. But if we don't pray, then what good does it really do? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God. Like prayer is so incredibly powerful. He said it will not rain. And it didn't for over three years. And the Lord gave Elijah a plan. The first verse of chapter 18 there, he, he said, I, I am going to make it to rain. Go, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain. Notice the wording. I will send rain. Everybody say, I will. So that's the will of God. God said, I will send rain. The will of God was to send the rain. Over here, the will of God was to dry it up. Now the will of God was to send the rain. And and he gives Elijah this instruction, go stand before Ahab. I am going to send the rain. Now, it doesn't say that God necessarily gave to Elijah this game plan. But uh, imagine Elijah... Who, who was a powerful, powerful, a prophet of God, right? A representative of God. An ordinary man just like us, but God used him greatly and very powerfully. So he's devout, right? Elijah's devout. And he's watching as the children of Israel are swayed by Jezebel, who's crazy. And he, he watches as they listen to her reasoning and theology and she introduces them to Baal and to Ashtoreth, and she anoints a priesthood and gets them all involved. And these, these one God Jews are confused and trying to sync up with these other religions, and, and they're, they're just following after this woman. They're deceived, right? This is a spiritual situation. You know, demons aren't just New Testament. They're Old Testament too, so this is demonic. The devil's deceiving them, getting them off track, trying to derail the plans and purposes of God. And so they're... They're following after this wicked Jezebel, and Elijah's watching this, and it, he had to be grieved, like, are you kidding me? Don't do that. 
it's the wrong direction. But Jezebel has so much clout and influence, they're just following after her like, like the wildebeest. You ever seen those videos of the wildebeest on the Serengeti? And, and they run, and then they go down that gorge, and there's crocodiles at the gorge at the bottom of the gorge. You ever seen that, those videos? And the wildebeest just follow each other right over the cliff, down into the gorge. And speaking of gorge, the crocodiles gorge themselves on dead wildebeest. They just sit there and, and eat them up. And it's not like, you know, wildebeest seem to be like the dumbest animal. I think you think sheep are dumb. The wildebeest, wow. Really, really dumb. And they just pile on down through there and the crocodiles eat them. It's like Elijah's watching the children of Israel like wildebeest just go over the cliff and just get consumed. And you know that it grieved him and he, he thought about it constantly. How many of you have ever suffered from road rage? How about, you know, really it's, you know that what's happening on I-10 is all Josh Joyner's fault. I'm just kidding. But, like, I watched, I get in that traffic, like, they're going to shut it down tonight, right, at 9 o'clock to 5 a.m. or something like that, and it's just going to be miserable, piled up. I mean, I'm going to search. The other day I went to Denham uh, early in the morning. I had a meeting, and I thought, well, I ain't go. I, the interstate was at a standstill out here. I'll go the surface streets. I go back roads out this way. I get behind a, a truck. It's it's a, it's a it's an older truck, and the guy's doing some roofing, and he's got like it looks like three three roofs worth of shingles in the bed of his truck, and it's like this, and he's going thirty five, and there's a trail of us, and we're like we're trying to be ten, and here you are. There's no passing, and it just took forever, and you get road rage, and what you want is revenge. You got to be careful, Dan. I know you got that fast car, and you want revenge. You know, I want, I'm going to speed around you, cut in real close, right? You're going to feel my heat, right, my thunder. you get all up in my business, all up in my way. Elijah had to be thinking of ways. Man, I wish I could get her back. He's, he's thinking. I, he's got a righteous indignation, a righteous cause. I want to get her back. And I think God took that imagination of Elijah and began to use it to develop a strategy which would become the showdown at Mount Carmel. Because when he appeared to Elijah, uh, to Ahab, he said, the Lord will send the rain. God says, I will send the rain, but there's no strategy. And then Elisha says, here's what you're going to do. Get the 450 prophets of Baal all together in this valley of Jezreel. Uh, and up here on Carmel, and we were just there. We, we saw this. Like, this was incredible. He said, get them all together and get, get those 400 prophets that you are so proud of. Get every, all of them to meet me there and get all of Israel. Send a memo out. Everybody come to Mount Carmel because we're going to find out who really is God. And so he formulates his plan, and he puts it out there and gathers all of these people together at the valley, uh, at the, the mountain, Mount Carmel, Jezreel's the valley below it. They all gather together. Can I just say this? Uh, God, and this is, this is what I just, I've felt in, just in my spirit today. 
God is wanting somebody to understand. You may have been where you've been for a while, but it's time to come out of that situation. You may have been in bondage. You may have been in, in the mully grubs. You may have been in, in a just in a in a listening to the wrong voices, and it's it's been a while, but it's it's time. It's t- God's got a plan to get you out of that mess. It's time to move out of that mess. Israel had been stuck in a mess. And really, as, as, as great and challenging as this showdown was, it was simply a way to get Israel out of that mess. You've been listening to the wrong voices. You've been walking down the wrong path. And it's time for a change. It is time for you to change. I'm going to shift your thinking. And he used a man of God, Elijah, who was just angry at what Jezebel had done. And, and it was time. It was a Kairos moment. It was an open door. It was a divine opportunity. It was destined to be at this time. And he felt it in his spirit. And he just said, I don't know what else to do. I know it's time for the rain. We need a showdown. Get all those cats that have deceived uh, so many of God's people. Get them all together. Get Jezebel's clan out here. Because God is wanting to show himself strong and change some minds and directions. Are you with me? And so that's exactly what happens. They all gather together at that point. And there was this public showdown where, you know the story, and I'm not going to re- you know, get all the, the details, but the pr- prophets of Baal, they prayed and they cried and they cut themselves and Elijah made fun of them. Your God's on a vacation. Baal's on a vacation. Baal's uh, in the John. You know what I'm saying. Baal is is unavailable right now. He's laughing, mocking them. They began to cut themselves and cry and try to get this. They believed this God would do something, and, and, and nothing happened. And then finally, Elijah said, it's my turn. And he, it says he rebuilt the altar. In other words, there was an altar that had been destroyed by Jezebel and her people to the one true and living God. And he rebuilt this destroyed altar. In other words, it was an altar at one time, but it had been destroyed. And he began to build it. It was a preparation for an exorcism, right, of these foul spirits and for an answer by fire from heaven that would change the course of a nation. He rebuilt this altar, and he prayed this very short prayer and basically just said, God, you know it's time. And I'm asking you to show yourself strong. And a bolt of lightning came from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and licked up the water that they had poured all over it in the middle of a famine, I might add. They rounded up water, poured all this water on there, soaked the sacrifices, and and God just, just licked it up, just consumed everything about that altar and those sacrifices. And when that happened, Elijah said to the people, Listen, it's time to make a, a, a clean cut from your past. And he said, I want you to take, get, the, get a hold of those prophets of Jezebel and kill them all. It was brutal. And they did just that. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. Jezebel was steaming hot. She was really mad. But Elijah didn't care. He had, he had been imagining this revenge to, to, to switch the thinking of the people. And they wiped out those prophets and they began to repent and call on the name of the Lord. 
It's, a, it's an incredible story. It's an incredible story. And, and when you look at what happened, the Lord then told Elijah, you, you need to tell Ahab that it, it's time and the rain is about to happen. It's about to come. Three years famine. Are you with me? Second Chronicles 7. Verse 11, thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house of the, uh, and the king's house and Solomon successfully accomplished all and came into his, uh, that came into his heart to make it, uh, to, to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. Verse 12, and then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Notice this, verse 13. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Think about that. Elijah had just had this showdown, and the people began to repent and pray. And they killed those prophets, and they forsook their evil ways. And Elijah told Ahab, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. There's not been enough rain. It's been a drought. But things have lined up. Things have shifted. And I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. I want you to notice there was not a cloud in the sky. We know this because he sent as he's praying, he sends his servant Gehazi to the top of Carmel to look out over the Mediterranean Sea and see if he sees any clouds. And he says, I don't see a cloud. Seven times. And on the seventh time, he says, I see a little cloud about the size of a man's hand. And it was, it was the beginning of a revival. Now, there... There were a hundred prophets hiding in caves. Jezebel was still alive and well. Ahab was still on the throne. Jezebel would stay around till almost the end of Elisha, Elijah's predecessor or, or uh, successor. The end of Elisha's ministry, Jezebel would still be around. But even with Ahab on the throne, Jezebel on the throne, a hundred prophets in hiding, uh, and 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 and, and n- not a cloud in the sky except a little tiny cloud because the shifting of the heart of the people, Elijah said, that's all that needs to take place. God will take care of the rest. And I want to tell you something. I serve a God who can take the shifting of a heart and change the circumstances out here in the natural it may not look like it yet. Things may not have 
fully come to pass. You can't see it. But if your heart shifts and turns, I serve a God who doesn't look at the outward appearance, but a God who looks at the heart and says, I see what you've done in your heart. I see the shifting, and I am able. I can send restoration and renewal. I can send revival. I'm telling you, I serve a God who that's what he wants to do. I serve a God who's a good God and not a bad God. He's a good God and not a mean God. He's for you, not against you. Religion is taught about this bad God who's you, he's precocious. You just never know about old God. But I'm telling you, God is good. And if you'll put your heart in alignment with him, he's got blessings for you that you can't even contain. And somebody needed to hear this message tonight. God's got a plan for you. God's not giving up on you. God's got a destiny for you. All you got to do is shift your heart. Don't worry about all this stuff on the outside. God is looking at the condition of your heart. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Well, it just looks like a little bit of hope. That's all God needs. Just shift your heart a little bit. That's all he needs. He took that little cloud and before long, it was a torrential downpour that was flooding the valley because God knows. Amen. Give him some praise right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear and his arm is not short that he cannot save. He can save to the uttermost, to the guttermost, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how far off track you may be. God knows how to bless you. If my people, if my people, it's a classic story, the Mount Carmel showdown. There was not one drop of rain, not one cloud in the sky, maybe this little cloud, not one sign, prophets in caves and Jezebel and Ahab sitting on the throne. But I tell you what, the people had shifted. The people had shifted. And the Bible says, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. And then, Paul, like that's exciting, right? On all flesh. In the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Uh, Man, like I grew up hearing that verse. Pentecostal, you know what I'm saying? Anybody ever grew up hearing that verse? Man, on all flesh, like woo. I mean, on everybody, every denomination, everybody, like everybody's going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, yes, on all flesh. That's exciting. But then Paul tells like, the other side of the story, in the last days, perilous times shall come. Men are going to be lovers of themselves, evil, waxing worse, like just this whole other scenario, right? Like really bad, like the, the best of times in the last days I'll pour up my spirit on all flesh. The worst of times, things are going to get worse and worse. And yet, Somehow, those can be reconciled. Here's what I've come to realize. It, it, it can be really bad. It can be really dark. But the worse it is, the darker it is, the brighter the light shines. And, and the, the men that love themselves and the evil people that get more and more evil, God can save them, right? And such were some of you. Paul was living in the Roman Empire 
I mean, Nero married a man. Nero married a woman. There was all kind of stuff, all these different perversions that were going on. And yet, in the middle of all that, God was moving and building a church. So here's what I'm saying. God knows how to reach you where you are. Your problem is not too big. You've not gone too far. You, you're, you're not going to bankrupt heaven. God's not going to run out of grace when he starts dealing with you. Like, oh, man, this is too, your case is just too bad. You're not the exception. Tim, we're not the exception. You and me, my story, your story, we weren't the exception. God didn't look at me and say, oh, you're too far gone. Like, I'm sorry. I always had the feeling I was a reprobate because I always grew up with that thing. You're reprobate. You, he's reprobate. Some of y'all looking confused. Anybody ever hear that? You're reprobate? Like, he's reprobate. He'd been turned over to a reprobate mind. I heard that so many times about people. Hey, well, you know, ain't no hope for them. They've been turned over to a reprobate mind. And I was like, man, that must stink to be you, you know, like turned over to a reprobate mind. I had my own story. I wondered maybe I'm reprobate, you know. But then I found a God who knew to find me, how to find me right where I was in spite of myself. That's like a preach Sunday, right? He knows how to bless you in spite of yourself. So here we have a story of God restoring people who had strayed so far. Stand with me right now. Can you imagine some of these people that repented are some of the very people who had offered their children on the altars of sacrifice to Baal. Some of these people that repented and the rain fell on them, the drops of rain fell on them, are the very people who had committed all kinds of sins in the worship of Ashtoreth. The very people, God's pouring rain and blessing on them. Why? They just shifted their heart. Oh, man. And it took, you know, some brutal circumstances to awaken them. I found life has a way of being brutal all on its own. Slapping you right between the eyes. And you could choose to harden your heart and fight on. Or you can choose to bow the knee and say, I'm turning to you. I've strayed in my heart. I've shifted away from you and I'm shifting back. If you turned away, you can turn back. I, I don't have all the theology figured out. I do know the scripture about reprobate mind and people waxing hard in their heart and stuff like that. But I'm just telling you, if you want to turn back, I know a God who will meet you, who will run to you, who will make the difference. And some of you need to understand this about your own friends and family. Don't ever write anybody off. I'm here to remind you once again, don't ever write anybody off. Don't say they're too far gone. No, they're not. Who are you to say? Did you hang on a cross for them? Did you empty a tomb for them? Did you fight off all the demons of hell for them? No. Then. Don't say that. There's always hope. And I'm closing with this. I had a conversation with a man. Who was at Fort Polk. At our pastor's luncheon. Mr. William right here. He was at Fort Polk in the 70's. 
I had an uncle who was at Fort Polk in the 70s. He was supposed to be a preacher, but he had lost his way. He had run from God. He lived in the fast lane in Dallas after Fort Polk. Left Fort Polk, left the army, lived in the fast lane of Dallas. Had all kind of problems. He was gay, just living a fast life. And as the years went by, some of his lifestyle was catching up to him. And uh, he got very sick. He uh, was HIV positive. He, um, he got AIDS. And uh, this story came to me. I was reminded of this story as I was talking to Mr. William about the Army, Fort Polk. And as my uncle was uh, passing away, he, uh, he got a tumor. And uh, he was very sick, but he got a tumor in his brain. And it grew and grew and like the size of a fist. It was right behind his nose. It was, he couldn't stand the lights. And, uh, man, it was just it was a very difficult time. Valerie and I, we went over to Dallas, drove him to VA Hospital in Shreveport with some of my family and, and just loved on him and just uh, reaching out to him. He didn't go to church. He had, like I said, he was far from God. And I remember being in his hospital room the night before he passed away. I stayed with him. Family had spent different shifts, you know, and I had that shift. And I brought a guitar and uh, had the lights down. He couldn't have any light on. And I remember singing to him about the presence of the Lord. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. I remember singing that to him. And just, just, and he would cry and we would pray. The presence of God was so thick in there. My pastor at the time, Brother Dean, came in and prayed with him. God just was powerful in that room. And I'll never forget it. He passed away the next morning. And I'll just, it made such an impression on me as a young man. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how you've lived, the years you've wasted, the junk you've done. I serve a God. If you'll just shift your heart, he'll find you right where you are. And he's not going to say, well, it's too bad about all that you've wasted. Like, I can't do anything for you. He'll come in and say, I'll take what you got left. Somebody needs to hear that. God will take what you got left if you'll just turn it over to him. Lift your hands to him right now. Can you do it? Thank you, Jesus, for your strength, for your mercy, for your love, for your grace. I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord. You're able to do it. Father, you're able to do it exceeding abundantly. You're able to pour out your spirit on all flesh. No matter what's going on in this world, Father, no matter the wickedness that may prevail, I serve a God of all mercy and all grace who knows how to reach and save to the uttermost, to bring the prodigal in, to reach the pagan, to reach the one that's far from you, God, to reach those who don't believe in the Bible, don't believe in Jesus, don't believe in God, serve other gods, false gods, those who have turned away from you, you know how to reel them in and draw them in. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for worship as they sing this right now. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.